Chats from the Blog Cabin. Your favorite podcast is here. Welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin. You know this show where I virtually invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. And today we're chatting all about wellness and healthcare and how there's such a inequity of all the people that are lower incomes not being able to have the right healthcare, the, the proper choices because of not only technology differences, but other things. So welcome to the show, Natasha, and tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about your company, Triumph. Hi, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. My name is Natasha Perez, and I founded Trine Healthcare in 2020, right in the depths of the pandemic, uh, which who knows if that was smart, but it was a great time um, because there was a, a large spotlight shown on the healthcare inequities that a lot of folks are experiencing. So just to take everyone back a little bit, I got my uh, start in healthcare when I was a, an administrator for assisted living communities, um, specifically with dementia residents. I served a lot of um, memory care communities and I really loved that and I enjoyed it so much. You know, the benefit for all of us working in healthcare is that every day we have a chance to change someone's lives or hopefully a lot of people's lives. So I really enjoyed that. Um, fast forward to 2019, my fiance and I decided, let's just get out of our comfort zone. Let's just shake things up. <laughs> I, I don't recommend that for everyone. It was very challenging, but uh, we did. And we made the move from Southern California all the way over to Rhode Island, uh, where I started working. <laughs> I know it was a big change, big, big culture and weather shock, definitely. Uh, but I made the change and started working for a primary care practice called Oak Street Health and I had never worked for a doctor's office before and that was very eye-opening. I really got to see kind of the back of the house of healthcare and see what primary care providers really experience on a daily basis trying to provide quality care um, for folks in general and so then I was with Oak Street Health for about a year and a half really really loved it but as um, the pandemic hit and uh, changed all of our positions, I kind of became more of a doctor's office scheduler, and that's not really my passion. Uh, I love being on the front lines. I love working with people directly. And what I saw from our providers and from our patients is that there's a lot of gaps in getting uh, providing access to people that are low income or perhaps minorities, rural areas, and they had a real challenge. I mean, even though uh, Oak Street Health could, put, we provided transportation to and from doctor's appointments, completely complimentary. Um, folks that don't have phones or don't have internet or um, don't understand why they need to be seen so frequently simply do not attend and do not. Uh, uh, they don't attend their doctor's appointments and they don't show up for appointments. So um, that was very challenging. Getting people vaccinated was very challenging. Um, really educating people on the need for quality health care and nutrition services and taking care of their mental health were all challenges that our providers faced. So I took the jump and I uh, started 
Trine Healthcare, and what we do is provide wellness services in affordable housing buildings, which is um, a unique niche. There are a couple of companies that do it, a couple of nonprofits that do it, but it's uh, complicated. Not everyone wants to do it. It's hard to really connect with folks. And so I kind of found this niche and it works really well and we've had a really good response. Some of the services that we provide are healthcare education classes. We schedule doctor's appointments for people. Uh, we schedule transportation for folks. We do exercise classes, um, nutrition counseling, try to connect people with their uh, mental health providers. So it's, it's very well-rounded and very, very necessary uh, for that population. Wow. I mean, taking that, first of all, I got to sympathize with you about the leap because my daughter moved from when they decided to attend grad school, moved her and her fiance as well, moved from North Carolina to California. Oh, so wow. I so <laughs> sympathize with you on that. Now, when you went about setting up your company, how did you get, how did you get it? You already said working in the doctor's office gave you the idea for it. Yeah. How did you get the funding and the backing for it? Because not a lot of people want to help the people that are in low income. No, it's true. So, I mean, I used my own resources. I had a little bit of money in saving and I really reached out to a lot of community resources. A big resource for me was SCORE. Um, it's a free uh, consulting company that they have volunteers, former CEOs, former marketing people, former accounting people that are willing to help um, new startups like me uh, kind of get their ducks in a row. And I had a lot of friends who are entrepreneurs who um, agreed to kind of help me out and check out my business plan and review my financials. And so with my business coach from SCORE and with other um, friends of mine that had already kind of done this and done a lot of startups before, I would check in with them weekly. And, um, you know, you need that person or people to really give you the... Um, the skinny on what you're doing, the good, bad, the ugly. And so it did take about, took about a month and a half because you have to get lawyers involved, of course, and there's contracts that need to be reviewed and set up an LLC. But luckily there are a lot of free resources out there to help small businesses like myself. Um, so it was actually a pretty painless process. I would say the longest thing was negotiating with my client. <laughs> negotiating the contract uh, to set up services in affordable housing. So it, I was very lucky. I would tell anyone who's interested in starting a business, reach out to your resources. There's generally a lot in the community. So that brings me to my next question. How did you go about setting up clients or setting up in the community in the low income housing communities? Absolutely. So when I was with Oak Street Health, I, um, my job, my role was outreach director. So I ran two sales teams and we were located in the Providence area. And that was our job to go out every day and to um, find areas of people that needed quality health care that were not receiving access to quality health care. So I had done a lot of outreach in the affordable housing buildings. So I knew a lot of the uh, resident service coordinators already. And then what I had to do is reach out to the building owners because the resident service coordinators provide um, services to folks, but they're not really the decision makers. So I got on LinkedIn and found every vice president, CEO, <laughs> COO of affordable housing that I could and uh, reached out to them and started um, you know, pitching my services. And one building um, in particular 
they were kind of in a point of transition and they had heard about a program from HUD where they could um, get an increase in rent if they provided wellness services. So they were like, Natasha, let's hurry up and do this. We, we gotta make this happen because you know there's a lot of timing and deadlines that are involved in order for them to get their funding. So we got it together and made it happen. So how do you build a trust with the, the citizens of the low-income community? Because that's going to be hard, too, for them to actually trust someone coming in and doing oh, something new. Gosh, it really is. You know, they have been, the residents have gone through a lot of different resident service coordinators, a lot of people from the community that come in to try and help. But there's a lot of turnover. There's not a lot of familiar faces. So what we did is, you know, we just, we set up in the community room, that was kind of our office wellness area. And we did have privacy uh, when we needed it for, you know, one-on-one -on -one consultations. And just being present and being there, we were only providing services two days a week, but we were consistent, we listened, we were empathetic, we're non-judgmental, and people really, they surprisingly they really wanted to get their vital signs tested frequently and plus it was right in the heart of covid so they were dying for someone to talk to dying for some human connection and conversation so over time it didn't happen right away it definitely took a few months and we were consistent in their lives and then you start opening up about health care and conditions that you have but well, that's very very personal so now if you feel confident enough to talk about some conditions that you're having, issues that you're having, you start to build some trust. And also we are very results driven. We're not there to just check a box and say, well, we showed up. Well, we you know, handed out some referrals. No, no, no. We follow up. We do home visits. Um, we will help people get to where they need to be and we close the loop, which is so very important. And I think that's what really earned us a lot of trust they saw that we got results done and we were there, we showed up. Wow, now we gotta take a brief commercial break, but when we come back, I wanna talk about what it's like when you first set up, basically go through the day, what, what people can expect that they go to one of your clinics. Perfect, sounds great. Chats from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Chats from the Blog Cabin. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now. Hi, my name is Joanna, and I would like to share with you a little bit about Shores of Grace, Shores Philly. It's a ministry located in Philadelphia. The portion of Shores that I volunteer for goes into Kensington, an area greatly impacted by homelessness and addiction. And we go and we take love, food, clothing, snacks, conversation. Um, we believe that it is a way that we can meet people right where they are and show them the love of Jesus. Um, we have seen lives changed in big ways and in small ways. And we have built wonderful relationships with the people in the community. Uh, we have big plans, more we'd like to do. Um, and we would appreciate any support, either through prayer or through donation. If you would like to donate, you can go to shoresofgrace.com. And in the menu, click on Donate. And we just ask that you put Philly in your donation comments. Thank you. And we are back chatting with Natasha. Now, 
when you talk about going in, you have certain days of the week that you go in and you set up that they already know you're going to be there. Yes. So take us from start to finish when you first hit the ground in the building into when you leave. Yeah, absolutely. So when we started working there, we thought, okay, how are we really going to outreach to every single resident? How are we going to let them know that we're there? Some people can't read. Some people don't speak English. So signs were kind of useless. <laughs> so we did post flyers at everyone's door in English and Spanish. Um, we did some door knocking just to let people know that we were there. We used the intercom to let folks know that we were there. And then what we did is uh, purchase an inexpensive sandwich board and just write wellness center open today in English and Spanish. And then just briefly what events were going on that day. And that became a real trigger for folks after they got to know us, hey, Trine Healthcare is here. And I would have residents tell us they would be looking out their window for our car to arrive. They were waiting for us to arrive in the morning or they were so sad if they got confused and didn't remember what day it was and they thought it was the day they were gonna, we were going to be there. They went outside. They didn't see the board. Mm, Trine's not here today. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was nice that they were waiting in anticipation for us. So my team and I would arrive and we set up all of our tools, you know, our scales, our uh, blood pressure cuffs, et cetera, et cetera, get everything clean, sanitized, get all of our equipment out. And like I said, we would generally have a line first thing in the morning, people would be lined waiting up to get their uh, vital signs checked. It just became really a daily check-in um, for folks to see where they were at. And then when they would ask our team, what's going on today? What you know classes are we having today? Are we doing exercise today? Because we really mixed it up. We, we, had a, we did have a set schedule, but we also offered one-on-one -on -one, um, instruction for exercise and group exercise. And then our healthcare topics change every month. So we would pick one topic, for instance, it might be heart health, and we carry that through all throughout the month. So then residents would come down and if we had a line, of course, we had to kind of separate folks because we want to make sure that everyone was seen. We didn't really, what I found was we didn't really do a sign up sheet and appointment spots. That doesn't work. And I, when I talk with a lot of um, resident service coordinators, they wonder, well, how come no one's showing up for my two o'clock class? People come on their own time and we have to meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. So luckily we had kind of um, an overflow space. So if there was a line, people could spread out. We'd start checking people's vital signs, doing their wellness checks, blood sugar, weight, etc. Um, and then if folks had uh, needs like transportation or doctor's office. So my team would do all the vital sign testing and run the healthcare education courses as well as exercise. And then I would do more of the social services work, scheduling transportation and doctor's appointments and, and trying to get through. That's always a big one, trying to get through to different doctors and get folks the resources they need and the connections they needed. And so then in the afternoon, we sometimes we had a lull around lunchtime. It's very busy in the morning, very, very busy in the morning. A little lull around lunchtime, and then we'd pick up two o'clock would generally be our healthcare education course. And then um, from the, for the rest of the day, from about three o'clock to 5 p.m. as we were wrapping up, a lot of folks would just come down to chat um, or ask questions or, you know, give us ideas about new content that they would like to see that, you know, things that really interested them. And then we would continue with our one-on-one -on -one health screening and a lot of follow-up. Afternoons were a lot of um, doctor's office follow-up, specialist follow-up for us. 
So I, I will tell you, no day was ever a dull day. No day was ever slow, <laughs> which makes us feel good, you know, because a lot of folks, when we started seeing that people were not really engaged in their healthcare, but now they're coming down and they're asking questions and they're saying, hey, you know, I feel a little funny today. It Maybe it's my blood pressure. Can you go ahead and, and check it? Um, you know, we did, uh, and we did a lot of home visits throughout the day too. So depending on what the needs were, there may be times that we were gone for quite a bit doing home visits. I have two follow-ups to that. First of all, um, you mentioned team. What, how many members are on your team and are they certain ones that like volunteer in the community or are they paid employees? So we were very, very blessed. We partnered with the University of Rhode Island and we received, we were working with three interns. The first semester we were there, we only had one intern and she taught our cyber senior program, which was fantastic. And she did such a great job. I harassed every department at the <laughs> University of Rhode Island. I said, can we please have more interns? And so we had three folks uh, working on our team most recently that would do the healthcare education courses, the nutrition courses, and the exercise classes. Um, and then it's myself and I am trying to hire a nurse practitioner. It's just been really, really difficult with COVID. Um, that's kind of why I'm out in the field doing the work as well, the social services part. Nurses are very, very hard to come by right now. Everyone's fighting for good talent, but that's typically our team. Now, another thing that I, as you were speaking, I was thinking, wow, you're empowering these people. You are making them a lot of times the low income people are the, the forgotten ones in society, but you're empowering them. And I love the way you talked about how at the very beginning, they were kind of leery of you guys, didn't know what they were doing, but now they're coming down and asking you questions and they're getting involved in their healthcare. Why, why can't the healthcare system see that people, people need, people of all walks need to be involved in this? Yes. You know, it's really sad. And I saw this, uh, I saw this too frequently in healthcare, unfortunately. So let's say, for instance, you have someone who is really non-compliant with their health care. I had a lot of residents like that. And so they're in and out of the system. They're in and out of maybe the emergency room. And they're not doing what the doctors are saying. Uh, they're not following their care plan. So every time they end up back in the hospital, some of the staff treat them poorly. It's kind of like, oh, my gosh. You again, you're not gonna do, you're not gonna take your insulin, you're not gonna do this or that, and it and it just becomes kind of a battle. And so that's really tough. You know, we're not getting paid by Medicare, we're not, we don't collect insurance, we're not getting any of those reimbursements. We're not kicking people off of our roster, which happens to a lot of folks that don't show up for their health care. Um, so that's one thing. We also have the time dedicated to each resident. You know, you go to a doctor's office and you're typically in, the, you, you wait a long time to be seen and then you're in there for what, five to seven minutes. So there is no real bond formed. I mean, if you're a lucky person who's had the same position for a long time, then you truly are a lucky person because they know you and they know what you're going through and they're trying to help. That's one thing I really loved about Oak Street Health, our physicians, only had time slots for about 12 patients a day, which allowed them up to an hour or more if they needed it to work with each patient, which is phenomenal. We need more of that. I also love the fact that a lot of times you don't see doctors taking new patients because I don't know how many times when you move to a new city or someplace, they don't take new patients. So if you're trying to get some people in, at least maybe now you have maybe a little bit of work around knowing that they're working with you, that you may be able to get people in to 
necessary components that they need. Yes, you know, you know, one thing I saw a lot of is people don't know how to advocate for themselves. A lot of people think, well, I'm just the patient. I'm just calling and I'm getting turned down and I'm getting denied. Well, we are pretty pushing aggressive <laughs> so when it comes to advocating for people and you just have to be, you just have to be. And, but if you don't have the knowledge or, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that we ran into were these huge phone trees that you had to press this and then you get transferred and you're waiting. We waited on hold for 45 minutes to an hour several times Well, people give up. And so if you're not a, a person who is used to advocating or negotiating that phone tree or has the time to wait, you know, a lot of these residents have um, government phones, cell phones, they only have a certain allotted number of minutes. They're not gonna sit on, they're not gonna waste their minutes on a doctor's office hold forever. Or then when you get disconnected constantly, it happens constantly. So that's just a, a huge difference from folks that have access and uh, knowledge to connecting with their healthcare for folks that don't. I love the fact that you're meeting them where they're at instead of making them maybe spend grocery money on having to get a bus to go all the way to the doctor's office or do something like that, that you're meeting them where they're, where they're at. Has there ever been emergency situations where you had to kind of take charge and just say, no, you need to immediately go somewhere? Yes, yes, absolutely. Especially, um, you know, right in the heat of COVID. Um, so a lot of folks, this is why technology is important and having access to services. So one of our um, clients uh, did test positive for COVID and um, they did not want to go to the doctor. They, were, they just wanted to wait it out, but they had so many other complications. We had to say, no, you really need to go. But think about for folks that either had to wait it out at home or don't have a phone to call 911 to get transported to the hospital. So I also saw folks in the building that would, um, so anyways, yes, we had to intervene and call 911 and we found people on the floor in their homes when we were doing a wellness check safety visit. So yes, absolutely, we had to do that and intervene. And I tell you what, the property managers were very happy that we were there. <laughs> They didn't have to do that. They, they used to have to make those calls and then they would come to us. Hey, would you mind doing a, a safety check? We haven't heard from this person. We haven't seen them. So we were very happy to do that. But also um, as it relates to safety issues and reducing, you know, this huge spread of the pandemic, folks that don't know how to order groceries online, folks that don't um, have friends or family nearby, now they're COVID positive. How are they going to get their food? How are they going to get their medicine refills? So I would see them going out of the building, you no, know, sometimes a mask, sometimes not, and going shopping. And we would run out there and say, hey, 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 what do you need? We'll do it. We'll do it. Go back up the, back upstairs. Here's some masks. <laughs> you know, let's handle that for you. We, we're more than happy to handle that for folks and, you know, order for them online if they needed to or go. We've done a lot of pharmacy runs, picking up medication for people. Um, so that's that's just a big chasm that people don't see in the healthcare world. Yeah, and you just brought up a point about COVID, not having the mask, not having the hand sanitizer, right? are the means to go get the stuff. Yes. That yes. had to be huge. So it was. Luckily, uh, where we were practicing in Rhode Island, 
There was a lot of nonprofits that uh, received a lot of grant money um, for PPE, and they were very, very good about distributing it, which was nice. But so many times, folks would come down to us and we had a stockpile of PPE. Hey, I need a new mask. Oh, do you have any hand sanitizer? And luckily, we had those items on hand for them. And, you know, we were able to get a vaccination clinic set up, which I found, you know, at first people were really ambivalent. They didn't know if they wanted to get the COVID vaccine. And a lot of folks in the building were COVID positive. I mean, it did spread pretty badly throughout the building. So we were able to partner with CVS and CVS came and did three vaccination clinics for us. And what was great was the folks that were kind of on the fence and afraid of that vaccine started to, they watched their neighbors, what's gonna happen to them? <laughs> Are they gonna be okay? You know, and once they saw that their neighbors were fine and all of the staff got vaccinated, um, they felt a lot more at ease. And then I would have people come in, hey, sign me up for that. I'm, I'm really interested now. So that was a huge benefit. Well, I love the fact that you're bringing healthcare to them on, on a limited basis, basically. It's what you can do without having a doctor step in. But have you ever had pushback for people saying, why are you starting this? No, no, surprisingly, no. All of the feedback has been very positive. I would say the only, um, it's and it's not negative feedback, the only thing I've heard was, Natasha, we tried this and we can't economically make it work. Kudos for you for trying. Um, and, and we do experience that. I almost wish I would have started the business as a nonprofit so that I had a greater shot of getting grant money to, to be more self-sustaining. Um, because, you know, it does, like I said, hiring nurses and buying the, the supplies really aren't that cost prohibitive, but, but labor is. And so um, that's the only thing is a few organizations have said, you know, we tried that. It's a great thing what you're doing. It's amazing. But I hope you can stay in business because a lot of people just aren't willing to pay. And that's where, you know, HUD comes in and they do offer um, better interest rate, better loan terms, um, an increase in rent. But not all the affordable housing owners know about that or want to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. and, and I really hope there was just a large conference here in Texas um, about affordable housing and, and how they're going to provide health care and what other resident services they're going to provide. So I'm, I'm hoping it's changing in that direction. Um, I just had a question in my mind and it just kind of <laughs> left me for a minute. But let's talk about the technology issues because people with low income don't aren't don't have the internet most of the time, don't have, like you said, phones, don't have cell phones. Um, if they do have mobile devices, it's very limited. Yes. So how do we work around that? How do we help so that they can have access to that as well? So I think we all need to advocate for um, at a policy level for including technology in these affordable housing buildings. Uh, in Rhode Island, there was a big push for grant money to install hotspots in different areas. So especially with, if you think about all the school children that were now uh, doing school from home and they had to get laptops and the low-income parents didn't have access to internet. So they would work with companies like Cox or Spectrum or different um, telecom companies to provide internet for a limited amount of time and then also put funding in for hot spots around the communities. But the thing is, it's impossible to get on those hot spots and they're not secure. 
And seniors are very, very tired. I worked in a senior and disabled building. They're very tired of being scammed. They're afraid of being scammed. And so now you want me to put my personal information on this computer and who knows what's gonna happen from there. So all of us that can use our voice, that can sign petitions, that can advocate for, look, technology is essential and it's essential for everyone. Seniors, disabled, um, families, people in rural communities, and it just has to be part of new building or you know retrofitted, retrofitted to older buildings as well. And a lot of folks um, discount seniors, well, they don't know how to use it. It's true, they don't oftentimes, but that's where we're able to meet them where they're at and work with them one-on-one. -on -one. What we've seen is a lot of um, free classes, uh, free tutorials, which are great, but as we were sitting with our residents, helping them walk through this tutorial, this training, I mean, they're starting from how do I turn on a computer? Mm -hmm. So watching or listening to a video or something or listening to a class that says, turn on your computer. They're like, I don't know how to do that. Where, mm -hmm. What is that? What is a USB port? We found it's like you, it's learning a whole new language. You know, what is RAM? What is memory? What is Wi-Fi? You didn't know any of that. And what was beautiful is our interns were there and they just sat with them, walked them through, helped them answer questions because a lot of it's fear too. They don't wanna feel like they're dumb. They don't wanna feel you know, like a question is too scary to ask. And a lot of folks um, were afraid to touch the computer because they didn't wanna break it. They didn't wanna put <laughs> something up on the computer. But you know, we saw what we what we learned, and it was just so beautiful. Is that our residents that enrolled in our cyber senior classes, they learned quickly, and they retained the information. And we had one gentleman in particular who's so proud of himself. When he received his stimulus check, he went out and signed up for internet, and he bought a laptop. And I was like, oh my gosh! And he's like seventy six years old. Beautiful, just wonderful. And you know, just having that technology and access really helps keep people connected as well, which is so important. The question I was gonna ask actually popped back in my head. Um, are you having to carry your supplies to and from the places that you go to or, or do you have a specific storage place? I do, luckily we travel very light. <laughs> so we have a little rolly cart, myself and all of my interns have a rolly cart and uh, all of our supplies fit in there. And we want affordable housing owners to know that we are self-sustained. They won't have to worry about anything. They won't have to worry about security on site. Um, you know, so something happens and they have to reimburse us or, you know, and we carry a lot of insurance. We have to carry a lot of insurance when we go on site. So that part is taken care of. So we're very self-sufficient. We travel very light. We bring everything into the building so that's a because a lot of times people don't have a large community room or even a private office um, so it, it helps that we're very mobile did you have a lot of fears because you said you started this during COVID did you have a lot of fears about you know, oh it's COVID because it, at that one point it was the unknown for a lot of people they didn't know what to expect yes I, I'm very lucky I've worked in healthcare for a long time around a lot of very ill people so I did not have that worry. As a matter of fact, and my interns are students, so they're fairly young and, and not so worried about getting sick. And of course we took proper precautions. Um, but that was one thing I, that made me really 
happy and feel excited that I worked in healthcare when there were a lot of shutdowns and people had to close their offices and stop services for folks. We did not have to. We looked up all the laws and the regulations in Rhode Island. I actually um, sent a message to the building owner and I said, I'm a healthcare worker. I'm still allowed to go to work. And so is my team. So please don't lock that building. Please don't shut down the community room. Let us continue to provide services. And we did. Um, I, I think, you know, if, if we were, and we knew there was a lot of COVID in the building. So I think really for us, just staying, you know, clean, taking our all the procedures very seriously, wearing our masks, double masking at times. Um, we did all the right things. And no, luckily we were not afraid. And I think it's, heartbreaking how you take health care away from people when they need it the most. So true. Now you mentioned the the man that 76 year old man that went and bought a computer and the internet. What are some of the other success stories from your clients? Oh my goodness, so many. So one in particular I remember is um, medication management is very, very difficult. I see it with my own family members, <laughs> all the medications they take. Well, I went into, I did a home visit for this one gentleman. His sister said, can you please go check on him? I'm very worried about him. He had bottles of medication and the tops were off because he had a stroke previously. So he really didn't have any grip strength. It was very hard for him. He started getting very confused about which medication to take when he couldn't read. And sometimes doctors don't think about this, that little tiny type on the prescription bottle is hard. Even if you can read English, it's hard to read because of the font size. So what he did scared the bejesus out of us, dumped all of his medications on his nightstand and just would take one a day. Didn't matter what, wow. some yellow, some white, some blue. I said, oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> Got all the medications together, um, called his physician and said, we need a home health nurse out here right away. There's gotta be a better system. So we got him on the pill pack system and I recruited his sister. And I said, you need to administer his medications every day for him. So that was, that was huge. Cause that could have been a very, very dangerous mess. He definitely wasn't taking the right thing at the right time or the right day. Um, another real big success story that we had, we had a gentleman who was very shy at first and would kind of peek his head in, what are you guys doing there? Checking blood pressure, weight, this and that. And we'd say, hey, do you want to come in and, and sign up and you know, we can take advantage of these services? But eventually over time he did, he said, all right, you can take my blood pressure. Well, it was really high. And I said, hey, you should probably call your doctor and just, you know, schedule a visit and have that checked out. Maybe it's an anomaly, but, you know, it doesn't hurt. Just call your doctor. So the next week he came down and said, I couldn't get a hold of my doctor, but check my, my blood pressure again. And it was still high and it was really high. And so I said, okay, well, don't forget, give them a call. He said, okay, okay, I'll give them a call. Third week goes by, he comes down, blood pressure still high. He said, you know, no one's picking up at the doctor's office. I said, okay, well, what's your doctor's name? Do you mind, do I have authorization to do a little research? He's like, sure. So come to find out his doctor's office had changed their phone number. He didn't have internet to search and find where the new doctor was or what the phone number was. We were able to get through, we were able to schedule an appointment. We were able to schedule transportation for him. 
Um, it took about a month and then she, his doctor changed up his blood pressure medications. But even when she did that, it took about three weeks of tweaking to get just the right balance to get him in a, a, in a real safe um, zone for his blood pressure. You know, that could have been a stroke or a heart attack down the road. So those are just things that, you know, we're able to do and help people out. We did a weight loss contest and I can't remember the overall weight loss, but we had people lower their A1C levels. Um, they lost body fat. All, everyone was diabetic, every single person. Wow. So they just, they, their doctors are like, what are you doing? It's working. <laughs> but, you know, it's easier to get up and to move and to exercise when you have support, when you have people cheering you on. And it's a, it's a positive thing. It's not a negative, like, you need to lose weight. You need to do this. You know, it's like, hey, let's go take a walk together. Hey, let's do this chair seated yoga together. Let's have some fun. And when you approach it as fun, you get better results. Going back to the story about the man with the high blood pressure, I would have never thought that simple thing is their doctor changing their office number, not being able to search it on the internet would be such mm -hmm. a big impact. But what a big impact. Yes. He and I'm sure he would have just kept calling or maybe just given up and said, Oh well, I guess uh because a lot of folks thought, well, because of COVID, they're closed. And, and a lot of doctor's offices did close and stop taking um, patients. And a lot of um, physicians are retiring, and that's hard mm -hmm. as well. So sometimes you call and it's like, that number is no longer in service. Well, now what do I do? So that, and that kind of brings us to telehealth. So, you know, during COVID, a lot of doctors, our doctor's office, when I was with Oak Street Health, moved 100% to telehealth. Well, that's a challenge for people that don't have the internet or don't have a cell phone that has a camera or don't know how to use that. So we facilitated a lot of telehealth appointments as well for folks. How did you do that? Because that was the next question I was going to ask you is what, did you have your computer there that they, they were like cordoned off in like a little corner? Yes. So luckily this building in particular had um, a, a secure library area. Then they had a resident service coordinator office. Then they had a community room. So that's where we could do our exercise classes. They also had a gym. So we had a private office and, and we would do home visits as well. If they did, I could use my hotspot on my phone um, to tether to either my laptop or iPad. We had a lot of iPads donated from the University of Rhode Island. So if people weren't comfortable in the closed office, we would do telehealth right there in their home with them. I love that. Now, why do you think that this idea has not taken off around the country? Because I would see such so many positive things with this. I don't see the only negative thing I would think would be when you're going into these. Sometimes you get the sketchy people, not all the time, but sometimes they're sketchy. So safety. But other than that, I don't see anything negative about it. It's such a positive impact. Why? Why don't you think more people are wanting this? I really think it just comes down to funding at this point. And, and I'm hoping, like I said, I'm hoping people will really start to see the value. As, as an affordable housing operator, and I'm not one, so I shouldn't probably speak entirely on their behalf, but you know, their concern is really occupancy and um, providing all the proper documentation to HUD and you know, making sure that their budget is balanced. And I understand that. But there is, there is more of a spotlight on improved resident services. And what's interesting is kind of where they stand now. Most of the companies, they have, um, you know, social hours and they have the resident service coordinator there to answer questions or help them recertify or help them get documents that they need. 
but I think people are understanding that they really do need more healthcare services on site. And I think also a lot of folks just assume that home health nurses and doctor's offices have it covered because they're the professionals, right? So that's really the assumption. Well, it's, you know, Mr. So-and-so, you should have a doctor. You should know to have a doctor and that takes care of the healthcare portion. But I, I hope that I'm shining a little bit of a spotlight on it and some of the other healthcare providers. I hope that all of us as a team can work together to really show that there are a lot of inequities and that they are solvable. And it's really not that expensive, but yes, resources do need to be put into them. Um, speaking of the diabetes, you said that the diabetes, everybody in the building was diabetic. Was that food choices and the fact that they were not as active as they're supposed to be? All of the above, <laughs> yes. Um, some folks, you know, definitely uh, hereditary. Um, diabetes ran in a lot of people's families, but a lot of it, oh, such a bugaboo of mine. When you go to a low income neighborhood, all you have to do is look around and you see fast food, fast food, fast food. And you go to a more affluent area and you see Whole Foods and you see really nice grocery stores that are really overpriced and folks just don't have the luxury of shopping in those locations. The building that we worked at, um, most people did their grocery shopping at Walmart. That was the closest kind of large grocery store. And then there was a Wendy's and then there was a Burger King and then there was a lot of liquor stores. <laughs> so that's what was close and accessible. And the vending machine, vending machine downstairs, I really wanted to throw that thing out the window, <laughs> but I couldn't. But um, so it's, lack of education, it's lack of time, it's lack of understanding nutritional content, um, and it's also sometimes just culture, right? If I was raised on soda and chips and fast food, then that's what I'm likely gonna eat because I really don't know any better and that's just what I'm used to. So I was really happy. We did start to make a lot of inroads with proper nutrition. So the University of Rhode Island, their nutrition department, put together how to read uh, food labels um, for us, pamphlets on that. And then we did a lot of education on what your plate should look like, what types of nutrients should be on your plate and why. And we did a lot of education about food is medicine. Food is medicine. We should be eating right foods that make us feel good. I'm so proud of my residents. They started reading food labels and it's kind of a blessing and a curse as um, we had food boxes delivered from the food bank, because a lot of people were in need, you know, their EBT cards don't go that far, the SNAP benefits don't go that far. So we have free food being delivered from the food bank, which is fantastic, but then the residents start looking at Natasha, there's nothing but carbs in here. <laughs> I said, I know, and they're reading labels and they're saying, do you know how much sugar this has? Do you see all these preservatives? Mm -hmm. So again, blessing and curse, yay, you're getting it, you're getting it. And then they're like, I can't eat any of this stuff. And that that's really tough. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done and it also really needs to start with early childhood education. We need to start early on in the schools as to why. I think a lot of people say, don't eat junk food, that's bad, but why? And our real focus and our real push is for people to feel good. We want people to feel good. It's not that we want you to live to 120 years old, but when we see folks with chronic conditions that are very, very painful and very, very costly to themselves and to the healthcare system, 
we know that people can feel better if they just make different choices, but not everyone has that opportunity or knowledge. I love how you're not only giving them the opportunity and, and giving them that knowledge, but they're empowering them to take their health into their own hands and not rely on the doctors and nurses or rely on society basically saying, Dean, well, you're worthy of this particular thing, but you're not worthy of that. You're saying I'm worthy of everything. Yes, absolutely. It's such a great point that you make. I think people really discount uh, certain populations and think that, well, that's just their situation. They've been in that situation the whole time. I had one uh, resident who was grossly overweight and many of her peers, just the language of her peers in the building, the way they would speak to her was very sad, very, very sad. And every day my team and I, you know, we come at it with a feeling of hope and every day is a new day and every day is a new start. And so just because we made bad choices yesterday does not mean that we need to make bad choices today. Every day is a new opportunity. And I wish more healthcare providers would have that approach. <laughs> now you're only located in Rhode Island. Do you see branching out? We are, we're trying desperately to branch out. So our contract with the last building wrapped up, um, unfortunately they did not have funding for another year. So as I mentioned, funding is the big problem. We recently uh, relocated our offices to Texas, to Austin, Texas. And there are a lot of um, affordable housing buildings out here. So we're gonna do our best to branch out and meet all the folks in the community that we can um, because it is, it is really, really needed in every state. Yeah. So do you have partnerships already in Texas as well in place? Are you looking for partnerships? We do. I'm always looking for new partnerships, um, but we have worked previously in tandem with uh, Rainbow Housing. They provide resident services in different communities uh, throughout the United States. And so we've been talking to them. They have, I'm not getting this mistaken, four buildings in Austin and six in Houston and others sporadically throughout the United States. And they do a great job. They get it. They, they really get the need for healthcare services. So we're hoping that things work out positively with them, but we're always reaching out to other communities as well. Well, Natasha, I want to thank you for coming on. We have just a few minutes left. Is there one nugget that you want to share with people before we leave? I would just say, um, be kind to people, be kind to people. And if you see them struggling, um, offer to help in any way that you can. I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen going in different buildings. I, I feel like we've kind of lost a sense of community. And I think sometimes, you know, if we see an obese person or we see a smoker that has a lot of health issues, we make, you know, hair trigger judgments and maybe write them off. So I guess that's the only nugget I would say is, is to be kind because everyone has a story that we may not know and, and we can all change no matter how old we are. And if a uh, community wants to reach out to you or somebody wants to start a program similar to yours, how can they get in contact with you? Yes, absolutely. The best way to get a hold of us is via email. My email address is natasha.perez at tryinghealthcare.org or they can call me directly at 619-867-4725. Or also you see the website listed, tryinghealthcare.org. Um, there's a scheduler right there. You can schedule a meeting with us directly. I love that. And I want to applaud you and continue success on this amazing work that you're doing because we have to help everybody in society, not just the ones that 
society deems are the helpable. We have yes. to help everybody. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was so nice to chat with you. It was nice chatting with you too. So guys, I will put the links where you can find Natasha if you have any more questions, where you can find all about our healthcare program in the show notes. And as always, be blessed and remember, keep chatting and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye guys. Chats from the blog cabin. We not only have voices for a podcast, but also faces for YouTube. Don't miss your next episode.